A lot of this stuff sounds like sovereign individual on steroids. Welcome to the show that the fact checkers warned you about. The one that debunks the mainstream narrative and gives you high signal, actionable content that helps you navigate the cloud world. It's Bomb Thrower TV with your host, Mark Jekovic. Mark Jeftovic, the stunt pope, uh, who's wearing the hodl hat, which I appreciate. I, I, I don't have any hodl gear here. We got like the sponsor merch or whatever, but uh, I didn't bring my hodl hat today. So, Mark, first of all, thank you for coming on, sir. How are you doing over there? I'm doing great, Joey. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, I love your show, and I, I was unaware of it until you invited me on, and I've been binge listening ever since, and I really like it. So this is a thrill. Thanks. Um, I'm glad you're here. I appreciate those kind words, my friend. Uh, before we get started, Mark, we got to talk about, so, you know, we've had a number of big CEOs. Most of the time we ask them where they got the name for their company or their Twitter handle, or like, we'll ask, how did you score the ticker symbol like Hive or Jets when we had the, uh, the Hive guy on? Um, so you got a pretty unique Twitter handle, the Stunt Stunt Pope. Where did this come from? What is this? Uh, I'm going to age myself here but uh there was a british sitcom bbc sitcom called not the nine o'clock news which i think ended in the late 80s or early 90s and so i graduated high school in the late 80s and we'd sit around in my friend's basement and you know drink beer and watch uh watch <laughs> bbc sitcoms and they had a skit on there called stunt pope and we just it was a, it was just a big joke and then, you know, fast forward 20 years, I'm making a handle on this stupid little platform that's probably not going to go anywhere. And it's asking me for a nickname. And I just typed in Stunt Pope and I've been stuck with it ever since. I don't really like it because it's not <laughs> congruent with anything I do. And I would like to change it. And I know you can change your Twitter handle, but bomb throwers taken. And, you know, so here we are. Okay, so you gave up the uh, second question there. You're also the publisher of, I don't know what you would call Bomb Thrower. It's a website. There's there's some posts there that are a little shorter. There's a newsletter. There's a portfolio. There's a number of things there. So tell me about Bomb Thrower. This is like a, by the way, when I search for Bomb Thrower on my work computer, I always have to take a deep breath before I do so, okay? But I still <laughs> do it. So tell me where this came from. Yeah, well, I guess so... My side project, I guess, is Bomb Thrower Media. And that sort of came to life during lockdowns because we were locked down and I was very disgruntled and pissed off and negative. And, uh, you know, I, I decided I had to do something positive in all this. So uh, I rebranded my personal blog to Bomb Thrower and created Bomb Thrower Media and started writing um I started writing uh, research reports on these publicly traded crypto companies that I was finding because I was always um, a value investor at heart. And I thought, so under lockdowns, I thought, you know, I'm really going to retrench into my value investing roots. I'm going to just hone the investment craft, read a bunch of books, listen to a bunch of podcasts. And then as I'm doing the research I decided I'd focus on nano caps and micro caps. And then I kept winding up in the same place, which was these publicly traded crypto companies that were trading for pennies. And some of them were trading below net asset value. So they had more 
Bitcoin and cash on their books than they had than they were trading. So I started writing some research reports on that. And um, that became the crypto capitalist. And then I just created a whole umbrella over it called Bomb Thrower Media and Bomb Thrower Media. And uh, it was like my personal blog, which I've had under various names over the years. But when I managed to get bombthrower.com, I said, okay, this is it. This is the umbrella. And then lately, I've been sort of moving it. I've been moving like crypto capitalist is it's like a premium newsletter PDF format. I don't know if uh, you're old enough to know a newsletter called the privateer, um, <laughs> which was big. A few, like the guy was going for 25, 30 years um, and zero hedge used to run some of his stuff. It was modeled after the privateer two PDF issues a month. And that was crypto capitalist. And then on bomb thrower, I started moving it more towards like a zero hedge format where I'm sort of like aggregating some other writers that I'm meeting. Um, I ran a story today. I don't even know who wrote it. He was an anonymous guy emailing me from a proton mail account saying, what do you think? And I'm like, it's pretty good. So I put it up. And so that's what's happening there. So I'll be honest, uh, I found you through a zero hedge post probably yeah. two months ago. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I've, I've enjoyed reading the bomb thrower stuff. I think that, you know, first of all, the name is like stellar. Number one, number two, uh, the, the content Mark is it's topical for us as a Bitcoin show and an economic show. And I think it, I appreciate that you're a Canadian writing with a little bit of a Canadian lens. I think you wrote a bit about Polyev's uh, leadership race victory. And, and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I enjoyed that piece. The thing that really hit home for me, though, reading Bomb Thrower is that, you know, not only are you a Bitcoiner, but you've kind of come through this evolution that I think a lot of Bitcoiners make it through. You mentioned the crypto capitalist and in your Twitter handle, actually, on your profile, you, you have it uh, sort of scored out. Yeah. And it's the Bitcoin capitalist now. So so what what was the, you know, what was the evolution there? How, how did you make that jump? Because now I read when I read the stuff, I see Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. But yeah. presumably in the past, it was a different slant. So what happened? Yeah, I mean, when I first discovered the space, um, 2013, and we, we might talk about that in a bit. But when I started the newsletter, I was I liked it all. I liked Bitcoin. I like all these other projects. I like Monero. I like Ethereum. I like these little mesh networks like helium and mxc i just think this is all great this is all awesome let a thousand flowers bloom mm -hmm. and i really thought that the the debate between proof of work and proof of stake was not that consequential i just thought hey you know proof of work is more secure but if you're really obsessed about the environment and you think it's an issue then fine just go with a proof of stake coin like who cares just whatever works and then a couple of different things happened. I think the way Ethereum managed their move to proof of stake was really off-putting to me. And then um, going through the crypto winter this time, which would be probably my third or fourth crypto winter, but the way that the you know Luna and all of those really melted down, um, it just I was very unimpressed by that. And then I, I was coming into contact with more like in-depth discussions of why proof of work is so superior to proof of stake and the difference between a commodity and a security. And so all of this was just reinforcing 
what I felt intuitively in the first place. Like I always thought Bitcoin's number one, right? And I see all this other stuff, which I consider just projects on top that have been launched by Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin is the dial tone or Bitcoin is Linux. Bitcoin is the operating system and everything else are like applications that are doing their own thing. And some of them are going to succeed and some of them are going to be great. Most of them are shit. And that's kind of how it is everywhere else too, right? Like, you're an investor, you're looking at publicly traded companies, most of them are garbage. And your job is to turn over a lot of rocks and kiss a lot of frogs until you find the good one, right? So Bitcoin is the good one. And the way I, I frame it is I don't see anything ever taking a bite out of Bitcoin. But I see lots of things taking bites out of Ethereum as as time goes forward. And so um it really came, you know, that once that 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 distinction became so clear to me, it's like, OK, Bitcoin really is money. It's decentralized money and uh, everything else are applications, companies, DAOs, even network states. And some of those are going to be fantastic and they'll be great, but they're not money like Ethereum's ultrasound money uh, hypothesis is is bullshit. Like it's not ultrasound money. It's not ultrasound money if. A guy in pajamas can change the monetary policy. Then it's not ultrasound by definition. Uh, okay. So first of all, yeah, definitely. Uh, I appreciate you rolling downhill here in the first 15 minutes of the show. I agree with everything you said there. Let, okay. I want to talk a bit about, you know, since you brought it up, l l tell me a bit about that 2013 era for you in, in Bitcoin and crypto. Len and I are both 2017 vintage. A lot of the listeners of the show are 2019, 2020 vintage. Uh, yeah. Mark. Yeah. So it's hard it's hard to explain to people sort of the the differences in the ecosystem as far as the complexity of the scams I'll say you know while also explaining that there's so many similarities. Right. Uh, you know there was crypto kitties in in 1718 and then you see NFTs in the 2020 21 run up and and I'd like to know you know from your point of view as a guy who's been around for you know close to a decade now what what were you seeing then that you're sort of you know having a, uh, you know, stunt Pope making the Twitter handle moment 10 years later, like, I remember this. This is something <laughs> I've seen before. What, what do you think? Well, in 2013, I'll tell you what I saw before then was um, the, so you fast forward or rewind even from there another 10 years. And there was an era you were probably like, you were like probably quite young I'm 35 uh, now. So, so there, there's your, there's your, uh, yeah. that's your age there. Yeah. yeah. So you're 35. I think I heard you say lens like about a decade apart from you. I'm 55. So we kind of got these three decades kind of spread out. Mm -hmm. So in early 2000, there was this, this move, there was this phenomenon called digital gold currencies, right? So that was e-gold was number one. Then there was e e-bullion and gold money, which is still around now and publicly traded. Um, that's a whole different story unto itself. But I really fell in love with this idea of digital gold currencies because I was already like a contrarian and Austrian school economics and, and had studied like the dot-com meltdown and then other, you know, financial history. So I really liked the idea of e-gold and digital gold currencies. Um, and I have my main business. You mentioned it before. Uh, I got a company called Easy DNS, web hosting, stuff like that, domains. We became the first domain registrar to take eGold as a payment. 
and I amassed like a bunch of physical gold because I had a customer in Quebec who would out exchange it for me. I'd send them my e-gold and he'd send me like Krugerrands and stuff like that. And I still have it to this day. Right. But one day he sent me a bunch of Krugerrands and he said, this is the last one. I'm not doing this anymore. And I, I said, well, what's going on? He's like, you know, I don't know. There's rumblings. I don't know that this, this could, this could all turn to dust. So we stopped taking e-gold. He stopped doing exchanges. And like six months later, you know, there was the FBI raided e-gold and shut them down and the whole movement collapsed. Okay. But we had our gold off the table and it's still safely stored away and it's on our balance sheet. So when 2013 hit, and I kind of kick myself to this day for not noticing Bitcoin until 2013. But, you know, I had a I had a newborn at the time. So, you know, you're in early, early childhood years. You're not really thinking about anything else. But in 2013, it was instant pattern recognition. And um, so right away, I started, you know, ed I started going in the same way I did with eGold. I started sponsoring a podcast. Let's talk Bitcoin. I met Adam B. Levine and Anthony Antonopoulos and Stephanie and all. So that was great. I started taking Bitcoin at EasyDNS. We became the first registrar to take Bitcoin and we've been hodling it for most of the time since. Um, and so in so what were the crises? In 2013, it was uh, Cyprus was actually what I think was the inciting incident that propelled Bitcoin into the public eye in my mind. I always thought the Cyprus bail-in was what moved Bitcoin from like whatever, $13 to over 100 and then I don't know the numbers. You think you think it was that? Okay, I've never heard that. Okay, okay, all yeah. right. I like. Okay, I've always thought it was that. I've always thought that it was um, people realizing. Wait a minute. You mean the bank can just you know take my deposits to recapitalize as a bank that zombified itself? And then yeah. the language in so Diesel Boom said it was a template. Okay. At the time, he was like the head of the not he wasn't the head of the ECB. He was the something of the European Union. So Jerome Dieselboom, this Cyprus is a template within the month. It shows up in the Harper government's budget here in Canada. OK, gets re-upped by Trudeau and it gets made permanent in 2018. This is bail in legislation, bail in legislation in the event of a systemically important bank. Certain liabilities may be rapidly converted into right bank equity and and anybody knows your what are what are our bank's liabilities deposits, <laughs> right those are the certain liabilities and and it very rapidly converted same languages in dodd frank same languages in the australian i can't remember the names of it but so anyway it's everywhere and there's even a supranational g20 uh treaty now that enshrines it among the g20 nations so i thought and I said it at the time, you know, this is what people are beginning to realize that they need a non-state asset. So, but the crisis in 2013 from that cycle was Mt. Gox, right? Mt. Gox, 70% of the transaction volume in the world blows itself up. And so that was like, this is the end of Bitcoin, right? 2017, you mentioned CryptoKitties. It was ICOs. And it was that the centralized exchanges seized up when the panic selling started. Okay, well, 2018, right? Uh, early 2018, a lot of a lot of um, 
the exchanges seized up. There was the ICO bubble, which were like some of the stupidest projects ever. I still have graphics kicking around here for like bananas on blockchain. Like seriously. <laughs> that was the best, um, man. You should frame that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Quadriga CX, right? Good old Canadian boy makes good. Um, it's funny. They were a client of one of my businesses. We had just really? started. EasyDNS has this other company called DomainSure. And one of the things DomainSure does, and we've got some crypto exchange customers, is we can detect phishing sites in nearly real time. So Quadriga actually, because there's all kinds of Quadriga phishing sites. So we have, uh, they, were, they were our first customer when we were in alpha. And we were finding these Quadriga CX phishing sites and taking them down. And they were behind on their bill. And I'm trading emails. And I got like two emails from Gerald Cotton that I looked in my notes, they were dated three and five days before he supposedly died. And I'm just like, and he never even said in his emails, um, I got a sore stomach. I, I got a sore like stomach. Right Mark. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't even mentioned it. Eh? <laughs> no, no. But if you watch the, if you watch the Netflix documentary about it, apparently it all happened within 24 hours. Like he started feeling really sick and his wife took him to the place and he was dead within hours. I really don't know. I forwarded those emails to the RCMP uh, because they're, you know, and um, because there was a, there was a Bitcoin address in there I said, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're, we're behind on the bill. Uh, send me a Bitcoin address and I'll, I'll pay you for the last couple of months that we owe you. Um, and then, you know, the next thing I knew, next thing I heard, it was over. But anyway, that was the 2017 crisis. That's what it looked like. The exchanges seized up and there was all these ICO BS. But nothing really impugned the underlying. Bitcoin was still Bitcoin. Ethereum was even still Ethereum, right? And now into this cycle, which I think this crypto winter started last April, personally. Um, but this cycle, it was really, you saw that, re, you know, re, almost that big short level of derivative over overexposure, like just ra like everybody rehypothecating their client stuff and, and just selling it back and forth to each other. And that really... Um, that even to me contaminated Ethereum, right? Because I thought uh, I didn't like the way that uh, um, the peg broke between staked ETH and ETH. And I know it, it, it retrenched itself pretty quickly. I didn't like the uncertainty around stable coins. I still don't, you know, I still, I've avoided Tether always. Um, I had a good amount of circle, which I ended up like moving back to a legacy bank. And I remember telling one of my, you know, one of my Bitcoin buddies, I said, this is the opposite of how it's supposed to be working. You know, we're supposed to be fleeing the banking system and going into crypto. And now I kind of, I got the willies about stable coins. So I'm moving the other way, but I never had the willies about Bitcoin ever. So. This is, I think, a pretty common, a, a pretty common realization that you're sort of watching all the, you know, bread and circus ICOs, tokens, NFTs, rehypothecation services, et cetera, et cetera, come and go. And in the background, you know, the, the, the piece of the Bitcoin, the piece of the pie that is Bitcoin just continues to grow, right? That dominance yeah. remains the same 
even as more and more and more and more scams and quick enrichment schemes and and founder uh, you know sort of founder led uh, token frauds try to clip at this thing's heels, it, they just can't do it. And I think a yeah. lot of people make that realization now. When it comes to Bitcoin, I think the other thing that people like, as you mentioned, is that it's non-state money. And I know you've done a, a, a number of talks, appearances on this sort of, you know, uncancelability of someone, giving yourself optionality in the face of this gr- this creeping cancel culture that we see f- for sure here in Canada and the United States as well. Do you think that at the moment, Bitcoin is sort of game ready for someone who wants to use it as a part of a, you know, resilient business model. Let's say those are probably the most diplomatic terms I could use. But is is it game ready? You think? And if it's if it is, why are more people not using it? And if it's not, Mark, what's it missing? What do you mean when you say game ready for a business, like for a company to just transact in it or for a company go, go to- full Bitcoin? Someone let's say let's say I know a guy who runs a, bo- a blog called Bomb Thrower and he publishes some stuff that maybe the current regime doesn't love mm-hmm. and they, they start to give him a hard time. Could the guy who runs the Bomb Thrower blog go full Bitcoin and, you know, have a an okay time with it, let's say, you know, transacting in Bitcoin with others, with uh, businesses, potentially paying some bills there. I know there's some services in Canada that do that. Do you think it's game ready for that kind of thing? Is that something that people who run businesses, even like us, Mark, you know, we've, we've had a hard time opening a bank account. We still don't have a bank account for this show because no one will give us one. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we've thought about that as well. Is it, you think it's ready for that? If it is, you know, why aren't more people using it? And if it's not, what's it missing? You know, this is going to sound strange, but I haven't thought of it in that way very much in the sense that um, my mantra has been to every business owner out there, start taking Bitcoin as a payment method. Like I've been preaching that and I've been probably taking far too long to actually roll out a product at easy DNS that enables that. But we're, you know, now we just say, get a VPS, put BTC pay server on it. You're done. Right. We want to automate that and that sort of thing. But, you know, my mantra is if you don't own a business, start a business. If you own a business, start taking Bitcoin. Right. And uh, because I don't think anyone is going to go full Bitcoin until the current monetary system fails and it will fail. That's the other thing. Like the monetary system will fail. We don't know when it's going to fail. And when, until that point, you just start stacking and hodling. Now, now that you put the question to me, ever since I came back from Miami last year, I have been feeling almost a near panic, kind of like a panic on par with how I felt in the early 90s when I realized the internet was happening and I wasn't involved, right? And I just, I got to get involved. I got to get involved somehow. I've been feeling like that about lightning since I got back from Miami. And I just think that lightning is here. There are amazing things happening with lightning all over the place. And, you know, that's what gets Bitcoin close to being, you know, shovel ready to to just run your business on Bitcoin. It's going to enable micropayments. It's going to enable microtransactions that you, you know, only your the sky's the limit. Your imagination is the limit, um, and so that really excites me. And it's already happening, and the the rails are there, and everything is coming on top of that. Uh, you know, with with the tap root and 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 um, 
Oh, my name, the name escapes me. The other, the other thing that just happened, but uh, uh, we're not, we're getting there, but I think what stops a business from going hundred percent Bitcoin is just that for one thing, as long as this fiat currency system is going, this is what I want to spend on my day-to-day -day expenses. I don't want to spend my Bitcoin, but. Yeah. Spending, spending the sort of easy money is the way to go. And, and you know, that it's a good segue to my next question. And I, I have to say, this is one of my uh, favorite things about your content, Mark, is your take on the great reset. Now I mm. try and stay away from this on our show because, yeah. you know, like I said to you before we started recording, uh, there's a lot of people in Bitcoin who think that there's, you know, a bunch of guys in robes and they're maybe drinking the blood of other humans and, you know, disguising themselves as lizards. I don't know, whatever, whatever, like the meme of the day is uh, planning the future of each and every one of us, uh, you know, and it's all about eating bugs and living in pods. Now, this may be true. I don't know. I, I would suggest people that probably it is not. We may end up there some other way, but I doubt very much it's going to be this cabal. But what I do think and what I hope we can talk about now is that there is a breakdown coming in the fiat monetary system. And you've done quite a bit of writing and speaking on this. Talk to me about your view on the Great Reset and how it relates to the way we run a modern economy. Yeah, I'll try not to get too disorganized in my thinking on this and too many tangents in different directions. But I mean, there's definitely some kind of monetary reset coming. Um, I usually call it a monetary regime change, right? It's just we've got king dollar. We've got the fiat system, which is more of an aberration than the norm over monetary history. We're really like 50 years into a crazy experiment and it's about to run its course. And um, so something's going to give, right? Because we've been kicking the can for all this time, uh, you know, pick one 1971 1997 1913 like it, it's just you know it's it can't go on forever and and we happen to be the lucky generation that that hits the point where it doesn't you know what what can't be sustained forever doesn't but um there's nobody in control guiding this thing there's nobody at the top planning it all there's nobody guiding it I think there are people who wish they could. Um, here's my first tangent. I'll try to keep it short. Okay. Mark on this show, buddy, you don't have to keep it short. We, we encourage guests to roll downhill. So I want to see you roll downhill. All right. We're going from a, a, a centralized linear top down system to a decentralized, nonlinear, more chaotic network based system. Okay. And so the models that worked for one system, they're not going to just transplant as drop-in replacements in the next system. It's like trying to breed faster horses in an era of cars, okay? It's just the game has changed and it's over, right? So all of this stuff that comes out of Davos and World Economic Forum, that's really just trying to make a linear extrapolation of an era who I call it, its fundamental architecture is obsolete. So it's going away. So, you know, all of this centralized top-down control, uh, granular management by experts is all trying to do industrial age expertise 
on a system that that's like you're trying to you're trying to do Apple work in a banana verse, right? It just doesn't fit. It doesn't work. So all you get is a clown show, right? The more it goes, the more entrenched it gets. It just it's just like hyper normalization, which is a phrase invented by a British documentarist named uh, Adam Curtis, right? Which is like when when the when the prevailing theory of reality becomes so absurd it becomes almost um psychosis to pretend to like the the public can only pretend to believe it right an example was in in soviet russia they had quotas on nails they set it by weight so the workers would just roll like three five ton nails off the line and go home they say oh you can't do that we're going to do it by number now you have to do a quarter of a million nails a day so they make a quarter of a million tiny little tiny little <laughs> nails and then they go home right it's it all comes down to incentives and I'll come back to that. So there's this reset happening just because we've, you know, we've destroyed the currency globally. And um, you can't do the linear extrapolation, so it's not going to work. And so I say there's just a regime change coming, which is heralded by decentralized movements like Bitcoin. And there's nobody in charge. It's just happening. And this is nothing new. That's the other thing that people really have a hard time with. We live in an out of control world. We always have. There is nobody in control. There will never be anybody in control. It doesn't matter if people want to be in control. It doesn't matter if people espouse being in control or even if everyone in the world agrees that something should be in control. It doesn't fucking matter. It's an out of control world. And for most people, Living the thought that they live in an out of control world is more terrifying than living in like a Klaus Schwab inspired dystopia. I think that's yeah. I I had not heard a phrase that way in the past. Okay, so okay, so we so we made it this far. What about this incentives thing? The incentives. Okay, so incentives. Is, sorry, okay. go on. I cut you. No, off. no, I, I no, I want you to go on. The incentives thing. Let's let's hear what you got. So. Here's actually an example where like a lot of people, even on both sides of the political divide, which is a false dichotomy, left and right, they sort of decry great wealth or great pools of capital. And I, I actually think these large pools of capital are one of the greatest um, uh, updrafts behind Bitcoin because – I tell you, a pension fund that's overseeing $500 billion, right, or an asset manager that's got a, you know, whatever, or even a family office or a family dynasty, okay, they don't want their wealth trickled away to zero by government's printing presses over time. And they sure as shit don't want a CBDC on their phone that regulates how much fucking meat they can eat and how often <laughs> they can get on a plane. Yeah, sure. They can take their private jets, but the point is they're going to look at their liquidity. They're going to look at their wealth. They're going to look at their financial instruments and they're going to say everything that somebody else can affect by the touch of a button, we're going to have none of it in our portfolio. That's all gone. Okay, and that is going to happen across the spectrum of left and right, and it's going to happen across the spectrum of wealth, have like having and have not. Just nobody wants to live in a world 
where somebody else can make arbitrary decisions on their behalf, right down to the granular level of like how many times you get to flush the toilet that day. So <laughs> that's incentives. Okay. Incentives are, I don't want to do that. And maybe I'm going to hold up a banner and like throw a milkshake on a Monet painting. But at the end of the day, right. Even those kids don't want to be told how many times they can brush their teeth and like how, what, you know, whether they can have heated bathroom floors or not once they finally buy their first house. So I, I, I think you're right. I think the incentives thing is important because you're right. You know, the more, the thing is that as the measures related to, you know, capital control, again, I hate some of these terms, but they're, they're appropriate for the, the thing I'm trying to describe as measures related to capital control become more draconian, more severe and stretch to more of the, you know, median voter class, let's say, people will realize that they need something that's outside of the state reach. That's hundred percent true. Now my question, and I'm curious if you thought about this at all. My question is, you know, from a government point of view and from also a Bitcoiner point of view is looking to mitigate risk. How much thought have you given to the difficulty that governments could impose in acquiring Bitcoin? Cause right now, you know, there's only one way for people to get Bitcoin and it's through a regulated exchange. People can talk about mining. They can talk about, you know, peer to peer, all this stuff. But the fact of the matter is, as these things tighten, because incentives ex exist for governments too, as these things tighten and they will, it's going to be very difficult to acquire Bitcoin for a currency that more people know is failing than not. Right. And more governments know is fleeing their borders for something else than not. Have you given that any thought? And if, if you have, I'd be curious to hear your your sort of take on where that's going from a, a government uh, point of view. Well, I think about it a lot, actually. And I think about it um, in terms of what I call the great bifurcation, right? So we talked about incentives and how people aren't going to want that kind of uh, granularity over their lives. That's not all people. I should have like bracketed that. A lot of people, enough people aren't going to want that. But you know something else? A lot of people are going to want, hey, look, I got my stimmies on my phone today and they're almost <laughs> going to gamify it. Like a lot of people are going to like having CBDCs and their lives completely gamified. It won't be regulated. It'll be gamified, right? You'll, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get little things exploding on your phone as your meat consumption decreases and you'll get a nice badge if you euthanize <laughs> your dog and you'll put TikTok videos of it. Like a lot of people are going to willingly choose this, possibly even the majority of people. Okay. And we're going to have this like membrane between crypto world and CBDC world, right? That's going to be the new political left, right. And the people who want self-sovereignty are going to like move into the crypto world and definitely people that have assets to defend are going to move to move in the crypto world. And by that, I mean, Bitcoin and digital assets. Like, let's just be clear here. I just say it out of habitually. I say crypto. Right. And then a lot of the, you know, the, everyone who's got like triple masks, pronouns and, and Ukrainian flags in their Twitter bio are going to be like, yeah, give me the CBDC. Give me the free stimmies and tell me what to do. And so governments are going to get a big enough slice of that pie to remain relevant. Although I think in the future, governments will become less relevant entities in our lives as other entities take their place that I just call, don't take their place, but rise alongside them, right? Like I call them network states. It's not my phrase, actually, that's Bajalai Shiragasins originally came up with the phrase 
but I talked about it a lot over the years. Um, but so it's, it, we're headed for a real like hodgepodge of conflicting power structures in a multipolar world where governments will like, okay, well, we've got 40, you know, 60% of the population are basically ruled through their phones and 40% of the pop or 20% are somewhere in between and 20% are kind of like they're off the reservation and they deal with us when they have to. And the regulation will happen at the choke points, right? There's going to be these toll booths between crypto world and CBDC world and fiat world. And those toll booths, that's why I like Coinbase, by the way. That's why I like Silvergate, okay? Because those are the toll booths. Those are the anointed gatekeepers of the border. But they're, they're checkpoint Charlie, right? Between, you know, crypto world and CBDC world. And so that's going to happen. That's going to be totally regulated. But yes, there are other ways to get Bitcoin other than exchange and start a business and start accepting Bitcoin. That, that is one way. Now, I have network state on my list of things to talk about, but you said something there that I'm interested in, Mark, and it's, it's this, this you know, sort of CBDC alongside of Bitcoin, alongside of fiat, alongside of, you know, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. If there's other cryptocurrencies that make it, you know, I don't know. But I'm, I'm curious as to why and, and sort of like the, the speed at which the CBDC narrative has accelerated over the last year or so. Specifically, mm -hmm. last like six to eight months, it feels like it's really picked up. Where did this come from, in your view? And you know, I guess the natural question, if I if I could challenge you a little bit, governments seem to be falling down on the hierarchy of things that are controlling my sort of day to day life. The minutes of my day that I have to think about the government is decreasing over time. How can these same bodies figure out? implement and enforce a cbdc regime does don't those things seem counterintuitive together or am i missing something no i think you're absolutely right like so there are people a lot of people think cbdc's are coming and it's going to be brave new world right 1984 and brave new world and I, i'm like i don't think so because the governments aren't gonna they're trying to control every aspect of our lives and they maybe did a half-assed job of it during lockdowns and COVID. But like we, I think that was, that was kind of the governments of the world blowing their wad in both credibility and power. And that was the Zenith and it, they will never get back to that level again. Like maybe in isolated pockets, a government will institute martial law like Trudeau did for like, three fucking days or a week or however long before he almost blew up the banking system and had to bank back down. That's such a great example, such a great microcosm. Like you can't, they want to rule by edict. They want to control their lives, but they can't. The CBDC narrative, you're right. It's, it's deafening. And, and if you've been checking out any of the newsletters, I'm always quizzical every issue that, you know, nobody's anywhere close to having one. Right. There's all this talk. So about a year ago, actually, it was just January. I put out a piece on bomb thrower. I said, all Fed policy tracks, all central bank policy tracks still lead to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Right. If they raise the rates, they destroy the debt markets. If And we're seeing that now. If they uh, reverse and turn the money printers back on, they destroy the currency. 
Okay. So they're, they're really trapped and everyone knows that central banks have been trapped and they got themselves in this mess. And then I thought the third way is CBDCs. So they'll look at CBDCs and this is why we have this deafening thunderous, you know, roar about them is because I think policymakers and governments and central banks look at this as this is how we kick the can one more time, right? We pivot fiat's CBDCs aren't going to destroy Bitcoin. They're going to destroy fiat. Okay. So we're going to turn fiat into CBDCs, but there's not, they can't make it ubiquitous. They can't make it global. They can't totally right. take over your life with it, except for the people who want to be. It's like, yeah, I want this. This is great. I get free stuff on my phone and it makes pretty pictures to me. They'll, <laughs> they'll do it. Okay. And enough of them will do it to make it sort of, work kind of is it, it how how uh, you know i don't want to pull on this thread too much but there is one question that i keep thinking about with cbdc's and i, I would guess that you've thought about it too and it's this question of tax receipts for governments you know mm -hmm. th at some point you know you mentioned the, the the kind of person who will embrace a cbdc now i happen to agree i happen to think that by and large people who embrace you know a technology of that nature are are more likely to be generally unproductive you know overall economic uh, takers rather than economic givers, but long-term this doesn't work. And so I'm curious, you know, I guess we'll, we'll close the CBDC talk here and I want to move to one other thing before I let you go. Mm -hmm. the, this, this idea of tax receipts in a digital age, it's very frequently parroted by governments, uh, NGOs. When they talk about CBDCs, the, one of the big things is that it makes tax collecting easier, both grabbing evaders and administrating tax regimes easier and cheaper. But is this really the case? And, you know, if it's not, then how long can this CBDC thing really last? That's At some level, governments need to be able to produce something of value to give to its citizens, even if it's only 40% or 60% of the citizens who want it, right? Mm -hmm. so, so what is the fix for that? What is the fix for the tax receipt issue? Is there one? Is there something that's going to help them kick that can? Or, or, or are, we just, are we just spinning our wheels here and this whole thing is going to be, you know, blow up in six months or 12 months after it starts? It almost looks that way. So that that was, I'll just briefly say, when I started writing the Crypto Capitalist Manifesto, like the original document that kicked off the newsletter, I was thinking in five, 10 year increments, like this is all going to happen like 10 years from now. I didn't expect it to happen in 18 months, right? Like a lot of the stuff that I was writing about, but still no one's got anything ready. That's why I put out that one article saying that I think they're going to end up using Ethereum as a base layer for CBDCs because they just right. can't develop anything from scratch. But um, the other idea about all this is how does a government create something of value to sort of like give the plebs that are invested in this scheme something to like, how do you underpin this? Right. Right. Exactly. Um and, and the idea I had about this is that, like, I always thought CBDCs would morph into social credit systems, right? Whether you call them that or not. But we're hearing also a lot of talk about carbon footprints and personal carbon allowances lately. And, and when you think about it, and I put a piece out about this the other day too, wanting to tie a CBDC like to a personal carbon allowance or carbon footprints this idea to regulate people's carbon emissions is actually based on the same recognition that gold bugs and Bitcoin people have about fiat. It's like this shit is nothing. 
it's 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 doesn't exist it's backed by nothing but we're gold bugs and bitcoiners are saying we're, we want we want money backed by gold or energy these policy wonks are saying we're going to create a new thing it's going to act like money it's going to be social credit and it's going to be backed by carbon and that's how i think i don't know exactly how the taxation works in that maybe there's no taxation maybe it's all quota I mean, who knows? Like, I don't know, but that's, I see this is kind of where the logic is taking it. However, all of that said, I think events are unfolding so fast that I really don't think that any kind of all encompassing system like this is going to get built in time. You don't think so? Okay. I'm with you on that. I think that Bitcoin and the sort of rise of the, you know, to use your term, the, the kind of crypto capitalist, the Bitcoin capitalist is happening too fast for major first world governments, you know, these cruise liner style bureaucracies to pivot, <laughs> you know what I mean? To pivot and meet the needs. It's not that that's happening too fast. Sorry to interrupt. It's that the system that they're trying to manage is unraveling too fast. That's the thing. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I could agree with that. I can get down with that. So, you know, this, this kind of brings me to the last thing we'll talk about, and then we have to talk about Coinbase because I take a lot of shit on this show for Coinbase, my, my Coinbase bag. So okay. uh, this a lot of this stuff sounds like sovereign individual on steroids. Yeah. Draconian governments, uh, we're going to limit capital. We're going to force people to uh, change their behavior in order to limit wealth growth and, and kind of try and keep wealth from you know entering into the hands of people who could cause trouble for these sorts of regimes. You know, Mark, uh, you mentioned you've been thinking in five to 10 year increments. Uh, it's obvious reading your stuff, you know, you're thinking long term. So tell me, you know, what's the next five years look like for the average Bitcoiner and the average, you know, plebe out there? What, what, what should I be thinking about in my day to day investing, my day to day hodling, my day to day, you know, interactions with the state? What, what are the things I should be considering? Um, you mentioned sovereign individual. That's like obviously a holy writ in these the Bible, circles, right? It's the and, Bible, uh, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, we're, and, and that book, by the way, if it was encapsulated in one word, it would be incentives, right? That that's sovereign individual in one word. Um, you know, I just, I, I get variations of this question and I, you know, I always say like, the same things, I suppose. I don't mean to be glib about it. Like turn off your TV, right? Cancel all your mainstream media subscriptions. Um, if you don't own a business, start a business. And once you have a business, or if you do have a business, start taking Bitcoin and stacking sats. And if you don't have Bitcoin already, even if you're not taking it through a business, just start a, a DCA, right? Just start dollar cost averaging and just just get a stack going, right? Of anything, and um, if you can get a, if you can get rid of unproductive debt, do it. Uh, productive debt. I mean, my thinking is actually like I come from European parents, right? Debt is evil and devil incarnate. And lately, I'm kind of like, well, you know, even with rising interest rates, if I can lever up and buy a company that's that's liquidating its own debt, like why wouldn't I do that? And um, especially if the whole world is about to to go hyperinflationary, right? I you kind of sound like a little quacky when you say hyperinflation. Well, you used to. 
And yeah, a year ago, a about, year ago, maybe, but not. Today. Yeah, I was about to say six months ago. <laughs> yeah. You would, I would have to have my tinfoil hat on to talk <laughs> hyperinflation, and now I just need my hodl hat to talk hyperinflation because you'll see it mentioned in Wall Street Journal or Barrons, right? And if you've ever read any of the the classic accounts of hyperinflation, like uh, when money dies, or there's uh, there's one oh, I don't have the title. There's a really good one about um, the Zimbabwe hyperinflation. Uh, I have it on my Kindle. I, I would look it up. But, uh, oh, God, I wish I remembered the title. So there's lots of that. I've got a funny family story about my – I have a great-grandfather who was wiped out in the Weimar hyperinflation. And my mom said, yeah, he had a business he – he owned land. He had a hotel. He had all his money, his gold. His business partner convinced him to sell – all his gold into um, Deutsche Marks. He got wiped out. He had one little bag of gold left. My mom said, you know, she was up visiting when she was like a tiny girl. She said she was standing on a thing outside his window and he was sitting in his bedroom and he would uh, empty his little sack of gold coins onto his desk and count them back into his sack and then pour them back out on his desk and kind of like in a zombified state, right? He was just kind of catatonic. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I remember that story from my youth. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be that guy. You know, that one That one was kind of formative for me. So anyway, next five years, I, I, I don't see if there's a deflationary collapse, it's kind of like the tide going out before the tsunami comes in. And that may be what we're in right now in the last little while. But um, they don't have any choice. They're going to run the money printers. They're going to try and do a stick save any way they can. And we see it already now, right? You, you guys, you and Len were talking about Bank of, uh, sorry, Bank of Japan, right? Of course, what's going on in Europe. And now they're doing this thing, the, the U.S. with these weird like repo treasury repurchases. That's like, <laughs> no, this isn't QE, but we're doing it. I mean, it's, it's happening, right? So you could go Hugo Steins. I think I started talking about him and uh, that got me onto the Weimar thing. So he was the guy. You've heard the story of him, no doubt, right? I haven't. Hugo Steins, no. He was a scion of uh, a German industrialist around 1914 or so. So he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't rags to riches. Like he was already rich. He inherited his father's like industrial conglomerate. But he kind of saw the writing on the wall. So he levered up to the gills and he bought railways and he bought factories and he bought, you know, he bought everything he could then. And then at this point, we get to a point where it's maybe apocryphal that he like liquidated one thing and paid off all his debts. Like when the hyperinflation was really running hot and I wrote a piece on it and someone sent me like an account, a follow up from one of his kids that's sort of a magazine article. It said he did die bankrupt but oh. it was like well after the hyperinflation. So he actually aced the hyperinflation, but he died penniless afterwards. But, damn, damn. but he did like he, he, he levered up and bought up hard assets. I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying, um, I guess mainly liquidate unproductive debt, detoxify your mind of like this garbage mainstream media, which is just, so bad like it's just inexcusable and um try and take command of your own mind 
You know, I, I started really getting into meditation since lockdowns. It's become a part of my life and, and uh, you know, have a even like a spiritual practice. So that's you have to take care of the one thing in, the, in this universe that you have control over. That's your own mind and your own soul. And that's what you that's what you look after. 100%. That's great advice. You know, deep, deep breathing and taking a step back from all the constant barrage of worry about this, worry about this, buy this, buy this. It's very important. And uh, as, as everyone listens to this show knows, none of this is financial advice ever. That is meditation advice, but it's not financial advice. Okay, Mark, last question. You're, you're mm-hmm. the only other Coinbase bull ever to grace the program. In the, the comments, other one? Me, that's it. What do you mean? It's only, it's only me. Everyone else calls me an idiot, shit coiner, and names I can't repeat on the air in my direct messages on Twitter. I'm, I'm surprised this chat, this chat's going to light up as soon as, the, as soon as the video catches up with what they can see. So, okay, you like Coinbase because you think it's the gateway between CBDC world and fiat world. We talked about that a little bit. Any other reason you like Coinbase as an investment? Because I know my, I'll give you my thesis. You tell me if I'm on the right track. I thought that Coinbase was going to pull up the ladder from the regulatory side and be the only place you could list any get rich quick scheme. And the Americans love get rich quick schemes. They love them. The only place you could do that is Coinbase. And so tons of money, tons of volume. No one else is going to have the firepower, the war chest to, to meet the regulatory requirements that these guys were going to help draft for the American government over the course of five or 10 years. So far, I've been completely wrong. Now, is, is there any other reason you like Coinbase? Well, how, what do you think about my reason? Give me, give me some, some feedback here. Well, you're, you're, you're in the same ballpark as me is that you're saying that like Coinbase is going to become part of the plumbing of whatever this system is between crypto world and fiat world and, and like Coinbase is going to be the anointed, like in with the regulators and, and pulling up the ladder behind them. And that's a very tried and true way to gain a pseudo monopoly. I, I would push back a little bit and say, um, you know, FTX will be able to do that. They'll probably be a public company someday, you know, Kraken will probably be a public company someday. So there won't be a loan there, but what I like about Coinbase is they have this depth of expertise that I think is unrivaled, right? And so when I hear that uh, Citadel is going to kill Coinbase through margin compression, I laugh, like spill out coffee through my nose because Citadel almost blew themselves up during like the meme stocks. They had to get their asses bailed out, right? They're not going to wipe out Coinbase, Okay. Citadel was going to be on the front page of some story like their cold wallets got hacked and fucking people are spewing their passwords and private keys all over Twitter and paste bin. That's going to be the <laughs> Citadel story of the future. Okay. Coinbase, Coinbase took the Department of the Treasury Department to court over the OFAC rules and actually made them back up a bit. Coinbase has its own intelligence and analysis operation that actually law enforcement hires to help them do forensic analysis of blockchain. Coinbase came up through Y Combinator. They live and breathe this stuff. Um, uh, I always say Armstrong's name wrong. I say Brian and it's Brad or is it the other way around? It's Brian, not Brad. Okay. I always write Brad and my proofreader says, do you know a Brad Armstrong in real life? And I actually- Who's this guy writing the bull case? Doesn't even know the guy's name. (laughs) I always get it wrong. But anyway, 
if you listen to his interviews, he had a great one on Lex Fridman. It's like this guy lives and breathes this thing. He's not some Wall Street MBA VC, you know, hack. And the whole team is like that. I, I like that he said, you know, we're we're a crypto company. We're not a bunch of like woke social social justice warriors. If that's what you want to do with your career, that's great. Here, take this package. Let's stay focused on the mission. I liked that. He took a lot of heat for it. I just think that they have this depth of knowledge and expertise. And uh, they've made more money than Tesla over the course of their thing. I think, I don't know, I'd have to look at the numbers. But wow. when I look at, you know, when things are going good for Coinbase, they're good for like a billion a quarter, right? And and like, that's not bad. These guys are, these guys win, you know, in bear markets, people are selling, they take a scalp, people are yeah. buying, they take yeah. a scalp, new, co new coins come on, they, you know, they, they, they pay, they get paid for those services and that listing. I like it. Listen, I, I bought Coinbase damn near the top mark. I won't tell you how much because it'll I did. fall out of your chair, but I took my first tranche. I no, I bought, I bet you I ticked it higher than you because I went against my own rule and I bought on IPO day. I bought a few oh, shares, God. right? Oh, same. But <laughs> um, yeah, but hey, you know what? I've been buying it ever since. Yeah. I, I, I haven't bought more for probably a little while now, but uh at these prices, like if you look at the miners and you look at these other companies and you view them, you know, whether you agree with the Bitcoin balance sheet being valuable, whether you agree with, you know, that, that net asset value calculation and, and think that it makes sense to buy something that has, you know, a, a lesser value than the total amount of Bitcoin they're holding, for example, as you mentioned earlier, you can view that either way. But what you can't dispute is that if you are a Bitcoin bull, all these companies are leverage plays on Bitcoin. And yeah. if you if you want if you think Bitcoin is going to rip, this stuff is going to rip faster, harder, and and quicker. You know, it's going to accelerate at, at a speed. The torque on that price action is going to be really something to watch. So, again, NFA, but uh, it's you know something to consider if you're an investor and maybe don't want to buy MicroStrategy or whatever everyone's buying. I don't know. Anyway, well, I'll, I'll tell you. Can I expand on that just a bit? A hundred percent. So. When I started writing The Crypto Capitalist and buying my first, like buying these these penny stocks for the first time, in nominal terms, like I got them so cheap that I'm still up on some of them, right? Like I got bit farms. I'm still a double on bit farms from when I mm -hmm. originally bought it. But what I'm telling people now is like, okay, they ripped. They ripped pretty high buying at the top. I mean, it's hard to hold through something like that. But at these levels here that we've been seeing over the last call it six months in these stocks, I'm at they're at more compelling levels uh, values now than when I first was buying them in like late 2019, early 2020. Because when I was buying them then, like you know, Hut didn't have 10,000 bitcoins in treasury, they had like 800, you know, and bit farms. I mean, they had to sell half of theirs, but bit farms had like maybe. No, a bit farms had zero, mm -hmm. zero Bitcoin in treasury. And now they've got a couple thousand even after having to sell half. So um, more compelling levels now. And I'll, and the one thing I made me want to jump in, we don't hold micro strategy. I love Michael Saylor. I can listen to him talk all day. He sounds like a cartoon character, like a Muppet or something <laughs> talking with glowing laser eyes. I just love listening to him speak. But we don't hold micro strategy because I think there are better leverage plays on Bitcoin. 
than MicroStrategy. Yeah, they've become kind of the de facto ETF, right? It's it's an, it's been interesting to watch all these things, and I'll add one thing. Uh, you know, the nominal value of these companies is one piece. It's it's the maturity of the network, I think, that people should be considering as well. Not only the price. When you're buying Bit Farms, if you're buying Bit Farms for a dollar in 2019, you're not getting the same. I don't want to guarantee is the wrong word, but you're not getting the same likelihood of a positive outcome then as you are now. Period. Yeah. The, the, it's the actually asset, lower. Yeah, it's lower risk entries now. Yes, of course, yeah. of course. You've, you've got more clarity, a little more adoption. Network is more mature. All those things. Um, and, so and I look mean, at, the, the, you know, when you when you look at that, think you, people should be thinking about. Okay, well, uh, do I, if I have a little bit of risk tolerance, it can ride out another three months of sideways chop on Bitcoin. Like you know, if you're a Bitcoin bull anyway, I don't know, something to consider, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, these are, these are opportunities. Now, Mark, uh, you've been very generous with your time. I want people to find out from you a bit about where they can find bomb thrower, what you guys are doing over there. I guess you guys, what you and whoever your proofreader is, is doing over there. And, uh, I know you have a premium service. I want you to, to chill it here. Cause it's oh, really? fucking good. It's fucking good. Yeah. Like you were kind enough to, to, you know, let me and Lenin and, and I've enjoyed reading the stuff that I've read so far. I gotta be honest. I, I I'm looking forward to the next release. So yeah, absolutely. Man. The floor's all yours. Okay. Um, so bombthrower.com is like, that's the public site, the blog and sort of like, you know, all my rants that go on zero hedge start there. Uh, my main business is easydns.com, And, uh, you know, we could, even if you want me shilling, I can create a coupon code for you over there, like CBP Media. Sure. 50% off initial initial purchase. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Give me like a couple hours to get that live. Uh, the CryptoCapitalist.com is like the premium letter. Um, it's two, two issues a month. Uh, Mid-month is like a portfolio review where I uh, and my researcher, John Blackburn, I'll mention him, you know, uh, we, we, we cover our portfolio, which is we try to keep it concentrated, 10 names and then some ETF exposure. We don't say this should be your entire equity portfolio. We say take, take your entire equities portfolio, decide on your crypto exposure, right? And we recommend 5 to 7% is sane and rational. Uh, and then we have like an allocation. We say, you know, divide that into three tranches, right? And put the first tranche in. If you got no exposure, put it in at these prices, whatever the prices are at the following weightings, right? Then we keep our powder dry and we try and time like when when to go in with another tranche. If you're already got all three tranches in, then you can just do some rebalancing. Like, you know, some 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 companies I'm a little sour on and some I'm having more conviction on. So I'll say, like, you know, let's just take a little bit away from here and put it into here. We can just trade around those positions. And if something comes along that's really compelling, we drop the weakest one from the portfolio and we swap it in. And 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 that's how we try to keep this thing under control. The month end letter, more of a macro thing um, that's really inspired by the privateer from days of yore. And I talk about, you know, clown world, CBDCs, uh, geopolitics, and a, a brief look at some other stuff like what's gold doing. I like gold. I still like, I'm one of the Bitcoiners that think it's Bitcoin and gold, not, not, or, and, um, you know, we're bullish on commodities and energy and, and, um, things like that. 
And so that's what the macro issue does. And, uh, and then if there's like a breaking alert, sometimes I might put something out like between issues and yeah. And so that's, so yeah, um, I have a trial thing set up at, uh, let me just think here, bombthrower.com slash crypto dash join. Gets mm-hmm. you like seven bucks for the first month. You don't like it, just cancel. We'll even refund it if you don't want it. And then it's like 49 a month after that. Got it. Okay. That's good. Mark uh, Jeftovic, the bomb thrower. Outstanding blog name. Unbelievable that you secured that. I can't even get Joey tweets without the 30. So good for you, Mark. That's great. <laughs> I saw uh, that. I'm like, is that a typo? <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, okay, everyone. Thanks for, thanks for stopping in. And uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. Take care. This has been great. Thank you. Nice. Good job, Mark. That was great, man.